Welcome to Surviving Society, a political podcast from a sociological perspective. We're here at the BSA conference in Glasgow and today we're interviewing Elsa Uman who gave a fantastic paper this morning. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about what it's about? Thank you for having me over. Um, so my paper today, um, earlier in the day, was about long-term Caribbean migrants um, and to the UK. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing a, currently I'm doing a pilot study looking at the experience of long-term Caribbean migrants to the UK using a rights framework. So what I'm interested in understanding is how the state offered rights um, to Caribbean migrants um, who are part of, who are known as Crown subjects, 48, and post-48 known as citizens, and how statutory rights of a vote could gradually be taken away and how they are now faced with incredible restrictions, sometimes even deportations and deaths at the border. Um, so that, that was my topic. I was, one of the things I thought was really good about um, your paper, Elsa, and obviously your research, is that you, you've got this rights framework, which means you use quite a lot of um, facts and figures, which sometimes we don't get as much of within sociological analysis, and it makes it a little bit difficult to understand. So could you tell us a bit more about the archival research that you mentioned um, in the paper? Sure. Um, so I, I'm only a few months into the project, but what I've done so far is actually look through policy documents and actually mine into the data to understand how many people moved, what is the, what is the scale of migration we're looking at. So um, Windrush scandal, when it unfolded, uh, we were looking at 49 people who were deported, we were looking at you know people who could be traced back, how can we give compensation and so on. But actually the figures are quite monumental. So by 19... 61, about 200,000 people had not migrated from the Caribbean, and by 1971, it rose to 548,000. And these were people who were recruited for specific reasons, for who, who actually took up the call from the mother country for post-war reconstruction. So they came in as citizens. They came in as citizens of the UK and the colleagues, and they're not really migrants. Um, and so I think even the current debates and current debates within scholarship as well as in, in the political mm. spectrum and media, I think problematizes it, calling them Windrush migrants, Windrush citizens, when, when essentially these are British citizens who moved to the UK. It is true that subsequently legislations meant that their statutory right was taken away, but I think we should really see it from that perspective. Citizens who are now being made aliens for no absolute reason of their own. When, I, when you were listening to your talk, the thing that came to mind, if the states are removing rights, and people rights is a big part of Western civilization, mm -hmm. so people, it kind of brings, it resonates with people. So if the states are removing rights, so is the myth of integration, is, is integration a myth? Mm -hmm. Because you might feel you're part of it, but the state actually told you you're not part of this place. So if that is the case, where do we stand? Mm -hmm. That's an important question, because that was one of the starting points of my project, because Every Commonwealth national in this country, um, whether they are whether they're currently being harassed with deportation, potential deportation, has voting rights in this country. So everybody who is within the Commonwealth national list of um, Part Three of the um, Immigration Act 1971 still has a right to vote in every election in this country, and by that it means every local election, every national election, every European parliamentary election. But still, they become more deportable than others. Now, that I think is a is a is a situation that we should face with. So I think it raises questions about integration because they're not allowed to, right? So if you're always asked, despite 70 years of living in this country, if you're constantly asked, where do you come from? I think it's, it's forcing you to not integrate. It's forcing you to question your rights. Um, so for example, as part of my interview, uh, I've spoken um, uh, to a person who came from Barbados um, and she moved when she was six years old. Um, and I think she was, she was telling how 
you know, even after nationalisation, um, you know, these are the, the, the issue. The winter scandal is making her think about these things more because she does have a nationalisation, but. Shamima Begum case again of deprivation of citizenship, uh, which was brought in as part of an Immigration and Nationality Act of 2006, really, um, that you know you could be deprived of your right to vote if it is conducive to public good. So these are categories which can't be really understood. So it's it's discretionary. So, so one day a person could decide, or state could decide that you don't you you are a threat to public good and could be taken away. So um, yeah, so integration I think is perhaps not allowed um, after years. And I think it's a, I think it's a very disconcerting position. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, I don't have any suggestions on how we get, get away from it. I mean, the only way I think, like how I was answering one of those questions, how do we build solidarities, how do we build resistance? I think bringing it to the media attention is one, just like how you know, the Guardian investigations have revealed that you know, it has some uh, effect. And similarly, in a sense, as scholars to work through this, you know, work through legislations, build solidarities with charities, with legal consultancies who work with, for uh, you know people who are more disadvantaged, and actually put up that resistance to the state and never, never, you know, cow down. I guess. I, the the thing that keeps coming up with my research, kind of links to yours, is that I the lack of lack of awareness mm. of the colonial past and therefore the reason why I'm here or anyone's here. Mm in this country, so most English people are not aware of the colonial past, they're not aware of actions of the, English, the British government in Kenya mm-hmm. or, and how the, the, the Mau Mau were a people's liberation mm-hmm. fight, so they don't understand the history, so they don't understand, so they will always see me mm-hmm. as an other and the state perpetuates that through its education system, so there's no, there's no kind of a broader piece to kind of bring into this because without that you can keep taking rights and, they, and it, the, pe- the, the majority of the population are not going to argue because you're still the other. Mm. It makes sense to them. Yeah, I think um, yeah. I thought it was really interesting in your talk when you said about the 2014, was it Immigration Act? Sorry, yes, copy. Yeah. yeah, so in that act, um, it codified the practice of uh, deport now, appeal later, mm-hmm. so you can be ordinarily resident, which you this talked about. This is Theresa May's yeah. uh, <laughs> policy. Um, yeah, so you talked about this kind of, you can't ever really prove that you belong somewhere or that you like have a right to be somewhere so it just gives the government an excuse to deport people for the slightest infraction if even including being the wrong perceived as the wrong ethnicity um and i you said oh you know famously she said it says deport now Mm -hmm. i feel later but i think i don't know like Obviously, it's famous if you pay attention to these things, mm-hmm. but I think for the majority of people, they don't need to be aware of how precarious, yeah. like, because it only makes a, you know, a, a smaller group of people feel that precarity, and mm-hmm. that's the point, right? Yeah. Like, it has a broader ideological function. It's true. I mean, I think the idea of illegality itself is, is something I think as scholars as well as public we should engage with because I think illegality can be constructed quite efficiently um, just like how Anderson pointed out in illegality industry you can make a person illegal I mean with the different institutions say biometric residence cards biometric borders um, you know all, all these institutions and technologies about um, militarizing the border and militarizing bodies at the border um, 
efficiently means that um, people are illegalized uh, at the behest of legislation, at the behest of discourses, which man, you know, which legitimize it. Just like how Theresa May was saying that, you know, hostile environment will, end, it's a hostile environment to illegal migrants. But how did it percolate? It actually meant that it 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 got people who got caught out of the system, caught out of ordinary residence. Because if it's not defined, it's very easy to understand how you could go about living your life thinking you're settled. But actually, you're not settled because you can't prove your ordinary residence because you, you wouldn't have any documentation. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of, I don't know, I have a friend who's Swedish and obviously very privileged in lots of ways. has an EU passport, you know, like, it's white. But it's interesting how, you know, lots of, European migrants are freaking out about Brexit and stuff, but you know, like he was trying to get his British citizenship and he couldn't, they were arguing, well, like, where are your documents that prove that you're at school here? And he was like, what do, like, it's amazing how, like, they expect, like, they have, well, deliberately have a ridiculous expectation of the kind of paper trail you're mm -hmm. supposed to leave behind because no one, like, really, like, very few people have detailed records from state officials. And then when you do have those detailed records, the government finds an excuse to be like, oh, no, not that one, that's not valid. You're pretty sure you have to have a, a, a record of every year you've been here, haven't you? Is that, exactly. is that right? That's yeah. right, yeah. So anybody who wants to... So there are provisions, like, if you've come for work, you can um, settle or you can apply for indefinite leave to remain in five years. But say if you've been here for for many years and you didn't come for work specifically. So you then, were a child, for example? Yeah, then you have to pull up 10 years of work, right? So 10 years of every time you left the country, every every visa stamp you have, um, every, um, so, 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 and also a, a paper trail of uh, how many days you're outside the country, because if you were outside for more than 120 days, then you would be denied. So, so, so th this has particular implications for people who have care responsibilities, if you have a, if you have a, you know, personal relative in an outside country, and you happen to go there and be with that person for, you know, so much amount of time for these work, um, be it care reasons, then there's no way you can, you know, claim that you're outside for a legitimate reason. You could be denied your, you know, indefinitely the application. Have you listened to any of Luke's deportation discs? Uh, um, yeah, not really. But we are hopefully collaborating. Yeah, yeah. like I, I felt this so. Like I have to be honest. Like a couple of them made me cry mm. because. I was reminded of them mm -hmm. because you mentioned about children yeah. and one of his participants um, came here as a, a teenager and was deported as an adult um, because yeah. of having um, a criminal record or I can't remember the specifics of it but it's so interesting that you will come here like as a minor but that doesn't matter like you mean later on you're still once you become an adult mm -hmm. that means you're the state can do what they want to you. Um, yeah. I mean, I think for all three of us, as in mm. Tisa and Chantal and I, I don't know about you guys, but throughout the talk I was thinking about like the impact it's had on my family in terms mm. of like that ingrained feeling of precarity. And, you know, that's from people who came here 70s and 80s, or in Tiso's case, earlier. Yeah. And like, it's not a Windrush thing. It's not like, mm. I don't know, I guess that's the problem with calling it a Windrush scandal, right? It's mm. like, for lots of people, that's not a recent feeling. Mm. It's just that this accentuates how precarious you are. Yeah. No, I think the hostile environment gets everyone in a different way. It's, it's really this unfolding catastrophe of what's going on with different groups of people, with children. So, for example, I know of children who've been denied citizenship because.
they don't have good character because they've had a fight in school. Oh my um, God. So, you know, so really, and this is real, Guardian um, investigation, this is very, very recent, uh, found out that dawn, in dawn raids, the um, the people who are conducting raids found that a couple, I mean, this couple who applied for, um, you know, um, leave to remain on the base of marriage were wearing pajamas in the bed and they have decided that they're not a legitimate couple. So you see, it's as as painful as this sounds, this is this is how it is. This yeah, is and also to amazing. add to that, they get um, queer people who are mm. applying for asylum to send the Home Office pictures of themselves having sex. And so I, on one of the podcasts, I said that some things never change. And these, these, these laws have been around for such a long time. That's what in the Bungary Act. They to catch people in the act of having sex. It, it scares me that the state hasn't changed much. Yeah, but it's like a disturbing inverse yeah. of that. That's what's really gross. It's, it's like reproducing. Yeah, another yeah another. it's like now we want you mm. to be committing buggery so that we can prove mm. that you're oppressed. And it's like, what, my stories of like rape and torture mm. aren't enough for you? Bastards. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what scares me is like people traditionally associate this kind of stuff with the right, but the left are just the complicit. And in that kind of time scale you give from the 1948 up to present, Labour governments have done just as much bad stuff in, cause, in causing a hostile environment for immigrants. But an immigrant or an ethnic minority will not see that normally. They will see that they're an ally, but they're not. Like I remember, I remember reading a report of the kind of Benorian Bevan when the Windrush was coming over, and he was like, oh, "No, no, we don't want them. Tell them to go back." And he said, "Well, if they do come, it's like a political nightmare because you can't turn them back." So it was a Labour government, so the, the kind of myth in the African, Afro-Caribbean communities, oh, we were welcome. No, the Labour government didn't want you. Apparently Enoch Powell was one of the people who was like, yeah, great, let's get Caribbean nurse over here. Yeah, yeah, that he was. Mm-hmm. He was, that's true. Mm-hmm. I know that. Cite <laughs> 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 <Like> Lewis 2019. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then used, and then obviously rivers of blood, we all mm-hmm. know. No, I think that's absolutely crucial. I think every party is equally or mm. culpable mm. in this. Um, and then um, New Labour brought in the points-based system, um, similarly uh, the, the restrictions and so on. And I think also something which needs mention is the fact that all these laws align in a, in a sense. I mean, I wouldn't say that the hostile environment align, align, aligns to EU's policy, but EU's mandate for a global migration management is in the larger. It's, it's sort of, so UK migration laws plays out in the larger picture of that. So I think we, we must be aware of that as well in, in terms of how the Mediterranean crisis is 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 is, is, is spun, um, and how um, you know EU sort of pays off countries at the border to make sure that migrants stay within those countries and never cross over to Europe. So I I think this is part of a larger question. So larger questions in terms of Europe's fortress fortress Europe policies and how it's still uh, practicing it. And then secondly, to UK and its relationship with the Commonwealth, how it's trying to, um, you know, reshape itself and how it, well, I mean, part of it is about how lies were peddled in the referendum campaign, isn't mm-hmm. it, about the going back to the glories of the yeah. uh, empire. Uh, but also something we should realise that it, it is, it's playing out quite differently in how it sees itself with old Commonwealth as well as with the new Commonwealth. And that's something I'm interested in, part of the larger project in terms of how Commonwealth still has res- resonance in the in the laws, in terms of voting rights to Commonwealth nationals, but in terms of deportability at the same at the same time. So, yes. Very interesting. Thank you so much for joining us, Elsa. Um, Thank you for having me. <laughs> okay, we're going to end there. Um, 
You've been listening to Surviving Society at the BSA conference 2019. We'll be back with more episodes, so tune in. Thank you for the great job. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>